About 24 years ago, I was a graduate teaching assistant at Florida State University. I was working on my master's degree, my MA, in philosophy, ethics, and religion, and part of my responsibility as a TA, a teaching assistant, was to teach my own section, two sections each semester, actually, uh, for two years, uh, so it's eight altogether, of a course called Death and Dying. This was a course offered by the Department of Religion, so in part, among other things, I would cover what the various major religious traditions around the world, you know, the big five, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, among an infinite amount of offshoots of those, I would cover what they each thought about and believed would happen after you die. The afterlife, or rebirth, or, you know, whatever each religion's opinion was on that topic. Anyway, the topic today isn't that, but at the end of the semester, the undergrads, my students working on their bachelor's degrees, would do a student evaluation. And they each had an opportunity at the end of the evaluation to write specific comments in addition to the multiple choice survey they had filled out. Well, I was surprised, and it always stuck with me, that several students would mention my opening speech to them at the beginning of the semester that had happened months earlier, and it had stuck with them. And they would mention one particular part of that speech. You see, I told the students from day one that there's a lot I don't know. I encouraged them always to ask questions, and I would gladly answer what I could. I did have bachelor's degrees in religious studies and political science and was working on my master's at the time. So I did have a lot of answers in me, but that if I didn't know the answer to something, I would never BS them. I would tell them, I don't know. And I would write their question down and go and try to find the answer for the next class. And I always followed through. I always went and researched the question if I didn't know it and would bring some response back to them uh, in the following class. Apparently that struck a positive chord with several students who had perhaps been frustrated at professors and TAs coming off as if they knew everything and taught their classes like some sort of Messiah or Albert Einstein or whatever. And I had a very healthy rapport with my students. I think it was because I provided this opening, this vulnerability, this realism, this confession that I don't know things was actually much more powerful than if I had given some clever response to the questions that I didn't really have an answer to. There was power in not knowing. (laughs) Well, there's still a lot I don't know, and I won't ever try to BS you on this podcast. And here's the good news for you, for all of us, and the topic today. It's okay to not know. You're listening to Zen Sandwich, a podcast for the independent mind and anyone who embraces life despite its absurdities. Join former attorney and professor turned Japanese papermaker Mark Reed each week as he talks with creative, inspiring, and influential people, or as he shares his own research to help make your world a little better today than it was yesterday. I respect an officer who is prepared to admit ignorance and ask a question rather than one who out of pride will blunder blindly forward. That's Captain Picard, if you don't recognize. I'm usually more of a Star Wars guy than a Star Trek guy, but eh, here we are. Um, Here's where the benefit really is of not knowing. 
Once you realize that, conceptually, you don't actually need to know <laughs> certain things, like what happens after death, or when was the beginning of time, why are we all here, all that spooky stuff, right? Once you realize you don't actually need to know that stuff, it's kind of a healthy denial of the self, of the ego. Eckhart Tolle calls this part of our egos the mind-made self, which takes up positions of knowing, opinions, viewpoints, judgments. And the more you attempt to identify yourself by opinions, viewpoints, judgments, and reactions, the stronger, strong that's not a good word here, the stronger the self, again, not a good thing, uh, the stronger that ego, that self, is. This locking in on views and opinions and judgments creates an I-ness, I-me-me-ness, which in turn creates trouble and problems for yourself and others. What is the primary basic obstacle which prevents observation and insight? If I have been programmed as a Catholic Hindu, whatever it is, democratic or republican or Presbyterian, God knows what else. If I've been conditioned, and that condition is always active, I cannot have an insight. To have an insight into things, there must be freedom from memory. That's the conditioning. The brain that is programmed, as we are, cannot have insight. Total insight is to be free of the conditioning of the brain. That's J. Krishnamurti. He was a famous scholar, author, philosopher, very famous actually, uh, worldwide at one point in time, in both academic circles and in pop culture, traveling around the world to speak in the 60s, 70s, and early 80s meeting with world leaders, uh, addressing the United Nations Assembly at one point. But I don't include his quote to make this conversation academic, merely to point out that we must recognize that we're all conditioned, all of us, regardless of whether you're an atheist or a devout Southern Baptist or something else. If that's all you know, if that's the only dimension you move in, your only reality is your conceptions of God, the universe, and what is really happening. If you only operate in a sense of, oh, I know the answers to these questions, well, you have suddenly limited yourself to all other possibilities. You miss out on the joy of observing without judgment. Worse still, you'll live in a mind-created, mind-made self. And as a result, you will create suffering for yourself when you hear views, for example, that conflict with your concepts. It might make you frustrated, disappointed, or for some it might even make them angry. You could think of evangelical Christians or fundamentalist Muslims and how they respond when they're just sure that they're right. Or you create suffering for others in a number of ways based on your beliefs of absolute knowing. It affects how you interact with others, how you might judge them, or even how you might vote. So, how do we come to a comfortable place of not knowing? 
I mean, if I give up my beliefs and the things I know, well, then who the hell am I? (laughs) Okay, on the surface, it sounds frightening to give up your beliefs in something you were taught from the time you were a child. I mean, that's who you are, right? But all you're really giving up is something that wasn't real in the first place. Let me pause and be clear. I'm not denying anyone's origin story or that or the why are we here answer. I'm pointing out that there are millions of origin stories and why are we here answers. And the notion that yours or mine, if I cling to a specific one, is the right answer and all the other ones are wrong or off, but mine is right, to think that is limiting causes problems and is, honestly, selfish, self-serving. Here's the key, because this proposition now arises. Do I completely deny the self? How can I maintain some sense of self? Can you live in balance where the self is still there, but you don't realize the you, the self, as ultimately who you are? Well, here's your job. Here's your metaphor, at least, to consider. Rather than seeing your identity, yourself, as a mountain, a giant rock of unwavering truth and knowledge, I don't know, maybe you don't see yourself that way, but some folks surely do. See yourself instead as a valley. We all want to be the one who knows, of course. We want closure. But the danger is, if we decide we know something, we're no longer open to other possibilities anymore. And that's a shame. Have you ever heard the phrase... Become the observer. Becoming the observer is being able to get your ego unattached to the situation, to step back and try to see objectively what is happening. That's Terry Cole. She's a podcaster, a licensed psychotherapist, um, an advocate of practical psychology, though, and as well as Eastern mindfulness practices. We lose something very vital in our life when it's more important to us to be the one who knows than it is to be awake to what's happening. Be awake, not all-knowing. We get disappointed when we know everything because we expect one thing and it doesn't happen quite like that. As an expert, you've already got it all figured out, so you don't need to pay attention to what's happening. What a pity. Because the real magic is in the simply observing. You don't need to know how we got here or why we think Nature is beautiful or whatever. It just is. And we just are. We're just here now. It's really that simple. So how can we cultivate our minds to just be awake instead of constantly seeking to find closure in knowing the how and why of everything? Once we notice the fixed views that we are carrying around with us, then it is possible for us to let them go and say, well... Maybe so, maybe not. The essence of Zen is not always so. Not always so. It's a good little phrase to carry around when you're sure of yourself, (laughs) when you think that you know it all. Not always so. It gives you an opportunity to look again more carefully and see what other possibilities there might be in the situation. I'll leave you with one of my favorite stories. It originated in China. It's retold in Zen, and I'll let Philip Seymour Hoffman's character in the movie Charlie Wilson's War. He's talking with Tom Hanks, portraying the real-life congressman, Charlie Wilson. I'll let him tell the story here. 
There's a little boy, on his 14th birthday, he gets a horse. And everybody in the village says, how wonderful, the boy got a horse. And the Zen master says, we'll see. Two years later, the boy falls off the horse, breaks his leg, and everybody in the village says, how terrible. And the Zen master says, we'll see. Then a war breaks out, and all the young men have to go off and fight, except the boy can't because his leg's all messed up. And everybody in the village says, how wonderful. And the Zen master says, we'll see. So you get it. No. No. Because I'm stupid. You're not stupid. You're just in Congress. We'll see. Should be another one of your mantras. Someone asked me, hey, what happens when you die? Well, we'll see. Cultivate your beginner's mind. Be willing to not be an expert. Be willing to not know. Okay, here's your five minutes in. One, admit you don't know. (laughs) That's a form of mindfulness right there, of awareness. Two, tell yourself that's okay. That's a form of acceptance for things just as they are. And three, lastly, just simply know and act on your principles on what is just and what is compassionate. The how and why stuff isn't really that important. What's important is that you are, that you exist here, now, for whatever reason. And this applies not only to the what happens after death or why are we here stuff this applies even if you're an entrepreneur or heck even a podcaster imagine that <laughs> it's okay to not know how this venture is going to turn out enjoy the journey of it all the process and simplify your thinking about the unknown realize that the world doesn't actually depend on you figuring out what the answer is In the end, not knowing can be scary, but liberating and profound. You're in the midst of a turbulent sea and are afloat without knowing where anything will go. But that's always true. Even of people who who don't admit it themselves, people of tremendous faith and assuredness of their opinions, don't really know. So enjoy the ride. Look at the amazing place you're in, wherever you are, and smile. Because this path of not knowing is the path of life itself. All right, so how can you help Zen Sandwich on its path? Um, You can do so by donating through Red Circle. Just a one-time donation of any amount is appreciated. Or become a $3 a month Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash Zen Sandwich. All that info is in the show notes wherever you're listening. And when you do become a supporter, I will send you a handmade postcard on Japanese paper that my wife and I make. That's it. Be comfortable not knowing. It's really okay. The world doesn't depend on you knowing. And breathe. Don't forget to breathe.